All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fuckinots, what the fuck bots, what the fuckadelics, what the fucksters? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Glad to be here. Happy to be in your head, sharing my brain with your ears and on into your soul. I got uh, Blake Mills on the show today, guitar wizard. How did I come across Blake Mills? How did that happen? Well, I do know this about him. He's got a he's got a record out that I listen to. the The song "If I'm Unworthy" kills me, just kills me. And I believe I'll get him to play it. But man, this guy is like he's real uh, earnest about guitar playing. But he's also one of these wizards that the sound is so perfect, and he honors the kind of the real tube and distortion and stuff that happens naturally in the electronics. I, I'm just fascinated with him, and it's a, it's a good conversation, especially especially if you're a guitar guy. <laughs> if you're if you're not, I think you'll still enjoy him. But uh, he did just uh, produce the new Alabama Shakes record, Sound and Color. I've been listening to a little of that, and it's sweet, sweet production, man. I mean, it's got that old R&B soul vibe to it, but it's also just kind of very beautifully defined by a wizard and he's like 12 years old this blake mills kid it's always interesting to meet the young wizards the guys who just obviously they work and they do it but some 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 dudes and gals just have a knack a god-given gift for christ's sake maybe it's just the luck of the draw genetic rolling of the dice the tumbling down the uh the DNA strands into pure brilliance on those guitar strings. Who knows? Don't I? I don't. I do all right. I was just playing a bit uh, before I uh, cranked on the mics. So, what is happening, man? So I did the Toronto shows. That was the night after I talked to you last. I did two shows in Toronto, up there in Canada, and they were fucking awesome. The tour has just been great. I'm so grateful people are coming out, and I had a I had a good time in Toronto. I did the new uh, Q show on uh, CBC. It's their big radio program. It's an interview show. I did their first, the premiere episode with the new host, Shad, and that was pretty great. Uh, I, it's it's rare that, like a lot of times I do interviews, but when I get interviewed, I got moved, you know. I, there was uh, there were some good moments there, and it was in front of a live audience. You should look that up. Uh, it's Q uh, with Shad, and I'm the guest. And there were some other guests there. It was a great guitar player. Now I'm going to forget everyone's name and a great poet. The poet's name is Shane Koizan, I think, K-O-Y-C-Z-A-N. And I really liked him. He's a great guy, great, uh, great reader. He recited his piece and he gave me a book and they're, they're delightful poems. And the guitar player was this guy, uh, Bahamas. I think his real name is Afi Gervanen. And I was backstage with this dude and he had this like 52 Strat which is a rare piece, man. It was just amazing. And the stage was, was beautiful uh, in, the, in the CBC there. I, I'm not sure what the facility was, but it was amazing. And Chad did a good job. Yeah, I'd done the show a couple of times with the past host, Gian Gomeshi, who is, uh, who is in trouble. Got himself into some trouble and uh, doesn't look good. But nonetheless, uh, I had a great time uh, doing that. And I did uh, the global morning show in Toronto. It's always exciting to do morning shows when you're up at 7.30 and you're sitting there with uh, four or five perky hosts just going at it for like four minutes and you're out. That's it. But uh, all in all, I love going to Canada and I, I did what uh, I do sometimes. And now I probably, I'm not going to be able to do it now after I talk about it. But I always buy like a few Cuban cigars because they're legal up there. Maybe eventually they'll be legal here. I hope not, because I, I still consider them a treat, and I don't want to get strung out on the fucking cigars. And I'll take like you know four or five of them out of Canada. I feel like uh, the guy in Midnight Express. Like I might as well have two or three uh, hashish belts on, and in any moment I'm going to be thrown into some horrendous uh, Canadian prison where I'm, I'm locked in the basement. That and and uh, and and I just. I eventually walk the wrong way and piss everybody off and figure out a way to, to get out by, uh, by throwing the warden up on a coat hook uh, by, almost by accident and then just walk out, just steal an outfit and walk out. I got it all planned out, but now, that, now, now the cat's out of the bag, so when they put me in the uh, lockup, they know how I'm going to get out. I'm never going to take Cubans out of the country again. That was it. It's over. Also got this letter. I don't know when I said this. I guess it was like last week. 
Hi, Mark. My name is Bobby, and I am the woman with laryngitis in Philly that you mentioned during your intro to The Henry Winkler Show. I wanted to respond to your implication that I might have caused your voice weakness during the intro. I'm willing to take the blame for that. However, I don't feel that I am responsible for a few reasons. A, your voice didn't sound very bad during the intro, and I could barely speak above a whisper. Two, I'm pretty sure that my laryngitis was caused by allergies. Three, you did five shows and three nights just prior to recording your intro. Now, here's here's where the... The loyal fan part comes in. Nevertheless, if you would like to blame me, I have broad shoulders and also it is fun to be mentioned on your podcast. So I'll be happy to accept responsibility. By the way, the show is terrific and my brother and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for keeping us entertained, Bobby. Well, it didn't turn out I had that that laryngitis, Bobby. Everything worked out. Oh, my God. Yeah, I got I got pretty strung out, man. I'm doing all these shows. I get I put everything I got into it. Beats me up. I woke up in Toronto with uh, chest pains yeah that was exciting and then you start to realize you know i'm not always so clear on how old i am or what's happening but uh you know i you, you can have a, a you can have a heart blast you can have a heart attack at 51 at 48 at 37 whenever whenever the fuck it is but you know i i also have a tremendous amount of anxiety that i maintain and nourish on a day-to-day basis uh, a good amount of dread and a lot of repressed anger am i working this shit out yeah there's a lot of things that i have solved as of late i feel okay about who i am in the world and what i'm doing for the most part occasionally i will uh, uh, be attacked by a fit of jealousy for something i don't want for someone that I don't care about, against what I don't know. Why does that happen? It's the it's an you know jealousy and self-loathing is like inverted competitive spirit. It's like you know I'm competitive, but uh, I, I don't think I can win, so I'm just going to fight with myself and see who wins that battle. <laughs> There's no winning because the loser is you, and and d- depending on what uh, course that takes, who the fuck knows? You can have a battle to the death with yourself. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be in Austin, Texas tonight. This is at Moon Tower Comedy Fest. I'll be there. I'm doing a screening of a Marin episode. That's so it'll effectively premiere there with a Q&A. And then I'm doing a live Dr. Katz reunion of sorts with Jonathan Katz. That's at Moon Tower. And then Saturday, Houston, Fitzgerald's 26th in Dallas. Oh, you can still get tickets to Dallas. For some reason, Dallas... It's not one of my uh, stronger cities. I, I'm just, I'm happy that some of Texas likes me. I can't expect everyone to like me. But uh, the Dallas gig, the Southside Music Hall, still tickets available for that. Friday, May 8th, the Neptune uh, in Seattle, the Late Show, still some available. And May 9th at the Vogue in Vancouver, uh, some tickets available. May 10th, San Francisco, Davy Symphony Hall, definitely tickets available. The Orange Peel, that's in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, Late Show available. Charleston Music Hall in Charleston, South Carolina, still a few tickets left. Variety Playhouse in Atlanta, still some left. Joy Theater, New Orleans, few left. There you go. Oh, you know what? Deaf Black Cow came back. It's been like months, you guys. He was making funny noises the last time I saw him, like he had something stuck in his nose. There was like maybe one of those burrs, and there was nothing I could do to get him. He was very infrequent and not consistent in terms of how much I fed him, but he was usually around, and then he just disappeared. And again, I grieved this motherfucker. I grieved him. And then I just saw him for a split second on my deck, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? He ran away when he saw me, but he's still, I don't know where he's been. This is the deaf cat. This is the baddest cat in the fucking world. And I thought he'd, he'd been done in by uh, by whatever. But he was back, man. The journey continues with deaf black cat. Uh, big head, big balls cat. He's around. The black, uh, the black uh, I'm calling him big head because his head's oversized. And he's got oversized balls. He's around. He seems to be like, I don't know. I think he threw up a bird the other day. Not great. Not great. Scaredy Cat's back on the deck. He's been coming around for a decade. There's a couple of new younger cats coming around. I don't know. Maybe there's a litter somewhere. They're definitely wild. Totally new one came by last night. Tuxedo Cat. Uh, we'll see if they keep coming. They're all doing all right. Monkey and LaFonda are fine. Happy as hell. And that's that's the cat report. All right? It's a little tweaky for them when I go away for a couple of days and I come back and they have to readjust to my you know, frenetic intensity, which makes them uncomfortable. Hey, look, I, they could have gone somewhere else. You know, They could have died in an alleyway. But no, they just have to deal with uh, a neurotic, aggravated man 
who takes care of them and uh, wrestles with his love for them. All right, let's talk to Blake Mills, the youngin, the youngster, the the young guitar wizard and producer. Lee Sklar, the bass player, has yeah. a switch on his bass that you don't know what the switch is. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> it's confirmed. It doesn't. Do, it was. You know what it did <laughs> is when a producer or an engineer would walk into the room and say, "It's not quite. It needs a something," and he, he would, would go, flip the switch, it. and they would go, "That's perfect." <laughs> it's a, and it worked. It was a buffer. Yeah, totally. between him and the producer. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, what we what we did was uh, we took a um, an amplifier yeah. and and we. Um, Tricked the amplifier into thinking that it was seeing a, a speaker, you know. So okay. like you've got the, the the tubes and the the, the preamp and, and right. power amp and all that stuff, and then that all sends to a speaker. Right. And if it's not connected to a speaker, it'll freak out. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's like plugging up a hose or something. Right. So we 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 created an, <laughs> a, a way to to create like a, a speaker impedance, but no speaker. We just took the amp and sent it straight into a DI into the into the board. Really? Yeah. So that crazy um, distortion you hear on. Um, Revolution, you know, the Beatles, when they yeah. plug straight into the desk and right. just distorted the channel. It's kind of like that, but it's even another, you know, uh, stage of, of distortion. And it's it's great sound. Thanks. It's a great record. Thank you. I really you. liked it. I mean, I, yeah. I put it, like, I had it for a while, and I didn't know who you were, and I'm like, no, I'm going to put this on. And then, like, I put it on, and I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Who's this guy? It's a weird record. No, it's, it's 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 not that it's a weird record. It's very grounded in something very American mm. sounding. Like mm-hmm. there was a few, like at least in those first few songs, like the second tune, sounds like a Randy Newman song almost. Sure. Oh yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, there there is that foundation in what I know as as sort of not traditional American music, but definitely roots music. Yeah. Was that there for you? Yeah. I mean, I I've spent a um, large part of my life listening to a lot of those guys, and um, especially Randy Newman. You know? Why him? Well, he's kind of one of the 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 top tier ultimate American songwriters, isn't he? I mean, it's it's like Dylan and and Tom Waits and Randy Newman, you know. And then like if you if you go a little further north and, and include like guys like Neil Young and yeah. Leonard Cohen, you start to get a picture of who in the last what fifty years um, have kind of shaped american songwriting is it interesting you know? the the guys that you say that you mentioned there are mm-hmm. are like you can listen to at least the first five or six randy newman albums mm-hmm. and they're, they're timeless you can listen to almost any neil record uh neil young record mm-hmm. and it just it transcends time yeah dylan mm-hmm. as well yeah i mean stylistically there are some shifts but it doesn't seem to age it's its own thing no when they're when they're firing lyrically yeah. especially like the Leonard Cohen records that a lot of people shy away from because the production is guilty of of like being dated or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't realize that that he was completely on top of his game lyrically. I keep trying even to more listen so, to him, even more uh, just uh, 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 as on a whole. Well, I like I I I've never been like like I'm a fucking Leonard Cohen guy. Uh-huh. And like I listened the other night, I listened to uh, songs about love and hate. Uh huh. All the way through. And I've listened to songs from a room and I keep trying and I understand the poetry of it and I like it. Yeah. But it still doesn't grab me like it should. It doesn't feel like the kind of thing you want to just well, be I, along I can with listen, in yeah. a room. Well, I, it does, but there's something like, it's not even, it's not the the emotions of it. I like the sort of gypsy music sometimes that he does or uh-huh. what, wherever that's from uh-huh. because nothing sounds like whoever played guitar on some of those records. But uh, but his lyrics, I, I understand the poetry of them and I feel it, but I don't feel the emotions of it. It doesn't connect with me. Hmm. I'm not feeling the rage or I'm not feeling like, you know, with Neil Young or with Dylan or with Randy Newman, there's definitely an edge to some of that shit. Sure. And and I, I feel like that that Cohen is reaching for something different. Hmm. Well, it's presented in, in maybe a different uh, uh um, it's 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 sophisticated. Yeah, you know? I, maybe, maybe. I mean, it, it certainly is. But there's something beautiful about the 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 lack of sophistication in the delivery. Yeah. of his early records. Yeah, you know. So yeah. you've got this. You've got that dichotomy, and then as the records get cleaner, the writing actually gets a little more focused. You know, like like there's a record he's got called Various Positions, 
and it sounds like the demo button on a Casio keyboard. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the lyrics are Solid. are so yeah. It's like it's like the the there's just so much in each stroke. You know, each breaststroke. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I like uh, you know, I like Suzanne and I like Sisters of Mercy. And I like that period. Sure. I mean, that shit's great. Beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful music, yeah. and yeah. he's actually singing yeah. at a pretty good level. But what gets me is like, I'm your man. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It starts to get so kind of crummy and seedy. And, yeah, and uh, yeah, okay, all right. That's pretty. That's pretty cool to have wrapped in a package that sounds like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I got. I know, think I just got to do a newscast or something. Yeah, like I got to do it more. I got to do more comedy. All things. Well, I got it. Well, yeah, I just got to sit with it more. Yeah. But when did you start? When did you? Because I know we were both at the at the Derek Truck Show. Yeah. Tedeschi and Trucks, and I, I missed it was you. Amazing, wasn't it? What is? Where's that guy come from? Are you all like, over? All over. He's like a savant or something. Well, but you're kind of like that too. Do you go to one of those shows where you you guys you sort of like you know you guys are at a level? And uh, did you talk to him after? I did. Yeah. Would you Would you talk to him about? How beautiful the show was! It oh. didn't, yeah, it was just a, a, a. You know what I noticed was, I mean, it's a big band. There's a lot of power tight behind as fuck. that band. So good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like a, 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 it has an engine. Yeah, and um, I've played at the Greek before, and I've seen shows at the Greek before, and it's an outdoor venue that is situated in a neighborhood, and the residents of the neighborhood have have uh, successfully managed to to keep the the decibel limit. You right. Know, at a certain point where if you cross it you you've got to pay a lot of money. Is that true? Fine. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's pretty low. Like I've gone to shows there and, and felt like um it was just uh, there was a lack of energy uh-huh. there. But uh at that show, man, they they it didn't feel quiet. Uh-uh. It felt like he was cranking and and his tones were so interesting And for he's a conducting too. That's completely. the interesting thing. Like completely. Yeah, well, that's what I noticed is With, that he is like And dry. a guy who doesn't really he's not the most animated guitar player. No. By no. any stretch, you know he he pretty much thought, you know like tunes in and and he's in the zone for yeah. the whole show, but everybody's watching him and yeah. and and what they aren't seeing they're hearing. And so I think when Derek did you start that. playing? I was ten. I started playing. And, and you grew up where? I grew up in Malibu. You grew up in Malibu? Yeah. Like, are your parents like old Malibu residents? Uh, kind of. My dad actually lived in on Topanga Beach in the, through the seventies. Is he and, a music uh, guy? A huge music lover. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and my he's mom. Not, he's not in, in show business. No, no. He sold real estate. Yeah. My mom's and, a paralegal. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So you just grew up down there by the beach? Yeah, down, down by the, the beach. Down and by Dylan's house? Kinda. I didn't know it was Dylan's house at the time, but what, I had a lot of weird, friends up there. The, the, the one that looks I like heard a mosque? there's like a gate up there. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know anything about it. I've know. never been, I've never been to, to, to Bob's house up there. And who, uh, are you friends with those? Are you friends with Jacob or anything? Yeah, yeah. I've known Jacob uh, for, I don't know, maybe I was like... 20 or something when I met him we were working on his first solo record together. you were playing on it yeah in fact I was kind of um there was a stage of ma- of, of him making that record where we were working with a, a, a very good friend of mine named Tony Berg who I grew up with yeah working with the producer and and um and Jacob and Tony were working uh on Jacob's material and I came in and and kind of um, built uh, demos, sort of, you know, yeah. just like played everything, and, right. and then we went and tracked it, and uh, we tracked, it, and that was the first time I'd played with uh, Jim Keltner. On that how session. old were you? I, I'm guessing I was probably 20. I don't know. I could be. I could be. So could let's be let's chart the wizardry, if we could. <laughs> if we don't, yeah, if we if, if you don't promise not to use that word. All right. What, 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 I know you're humble, but I mean, at some point you you got to like you know you're you're okay. I won't use that word. Fine. So you're ten years old. The first guitar you get is what? Strat, a Squire Strat. You got a Squire Strat. Yeah, Sunburst. It's still in pieces in my mom's garage. And who bought that for you? My dad. My dad. And now, when you picked it up, you didn't have an acoustic. You started on electric. Yeah, I started on electric because I, the only reason I really wanted to play guitar was because it, Kurt Cobain just looks so fucking cool. That was it. You're yeah. ten years old, and you're like that. I was it. totally seduced by by music videos. And what did he play MTV. though? He played a, a, like I think a jazz he played master a, or something. Yeah, but I mean, to I'll the, beat to up be unintroduced. Like, there's no, you know, there's like, no difference. No, no, right. But yeah. to be like, a, well, he played with like piano wire or something. It's like a, <sighs> he he, and the guitar was so low. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it was such a, an iconic image of this guy playing this thing and stooped over and the hair in his face and. And the sound of his voice yeah. and, and guitar. It's it a real deal, that guy. Completely. It's weird because it took me years to realize that, you know, you play what you play, but it's your commitment to, you know, what you play and how you play 
that really is going to transcend anything. Yeah. Because there are guys that- If you believe it. Yeah, exactly. If you believe it. That's the magic, isn't it? Totally. And when you were, we were talking about J.J. Kale earlier yeah. and the level of, of difficulty or, or technicality in his playing, and, and there's something that a lot of people, like they'll glance over when they're learning something and it's feel and touch. Yeah. Because there's- there aren't a lot of words or 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 ways to document or notate and describe the touch of how something was played right you know so a lot of people will 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 learn a figure but there's still this huge part of it that that they haven't got right you know and 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 that's a uh how do you where do you yeah totally where do you where do you where does that fall on the 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 hierarchical chart of you know what's yeah. good and what's difficult and and know, also because there's so many like when you're playing an amplified instrument there there's an there's a whole range of things that you can get out of that totally. without changing a note and an acoustic I mean the guys that can get that out of an acoustic right. instrument is even more impressive yeah 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 you know so when you start playing your strat what are you playing do you like what um, what who teaches you initially well the store that I bought the uh, guitar from offered guitar lessons uh-huh. and that you could get like 10 free lessons if you okay. bought a guitar from them so um there was a, a fellow by the name of ralph who who uh ralph. had like kirk hammett hair and yeah showed me you know like the the greatest hits from the black album and and Soundgarden and uh-huh. um and the nirvana songs that i wanted to learn and i walked out of there being able to play you know come as you are and it's it's like the foundation for for all of the guitar playing that I do today, still. Really? I mean, even though I've I, I've I've gone on like yeah. you know, such a, a um, an interesting journey as far as discovering other kinds of music and just being turned on to, to stuff, I still find myself when I pick up a guitar, um, falling uh, onto these sort of two note yeah. couplings. You know these shapes. Yeah, yeah. And they're all over the Nirvana records. Huh. Those shapes. That was so. That was it. Yeah, that, that laid it down for you. Yeah, whether I knew it or not, you know. I mean, there's there's a lot of musicality in, in like in like the, you know the Pinkerton record, the Weezer Pinkerton sure. record. Oh yeah, well he's a monster guitar player and and a writer, you know. Yeah. And so if you and and my dad used to have these musician friends um, who he grew up with in the '70s, guitar players, and they would come over to the house and ask what I was listening to, and I'd put on Pinkerton. And, yeah. And and it wasn't the kind of uh, disconnect that you know a lot of parents you know the generational gap it, it, they were going okay there's music in this and they yeah. would, they would listen and be able to go okay yeah it's so a one one the progression is one five six four you know uh-huh. and and that seemed like such a magic trick to be able to to not have a guitar or an instrument around and listen to a piece of music and go I understand what's going on here and you, oh you picked yeah. that up well I, it, I I mean I I saw that that was happening right right I, so I want right. to do that you know <laughs> yeah I want to yeah. be able to do, that's that's cool those guys I want to be able to do that it's yeah it's to, to see that it, I used to go in my garage and I would I would play handball against you know by myself and against the wall and I would fantasize because I wasn't a very popular kid when I was in elementary school I would fantasize like well what if there was this competition right where where it was like I was representing my school or 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 my my these people that didn't really know who I was and but I was the handball wizard and I could just do these things and I was and I'm playing down there in the garage yeah, you know past yeah. 10 o'clock and and hitting this thing going wouldn't that be great if I was just able to do something that that, that nobody else was able to do but initially yeah. it was handball I'm glad you you decided on guitar eventually yeah because there, there still isn't a handball Olympics in the <laughs> Santa Monica Malibu Unified School District <laughs> you would try yeah, as we might you would have been just yeah. the, the weird kid that could play handball really well, well. I, I think I probably still was but what were you just like quiet or not really quiet i i think i was actually kind of a little shit oh my mom has a collection of um they were called pink slips things uh-huh. you would get when you get in trouble oh really yeah. you're smart ass yeah i was a i was probably really hard to deal with my principal in elementary school said he'll be in jail by the time he's 20 oh really which is funny because once i hit like 14 yeah and everybody else was starting to get into mischief yeah i was so sort of focused and obsessed with music that i, that, I, I became even, an adult it wasn't yeah. even an option it just didn't it, like I start a, a, a neighbor turned me on to pot when I was um, 10 yeah. and I started smoking when I was 10 and then by the time I was 14 I was going out I was hanging out with, with people who were in and out of rehab and I just lost interest you were done with it yeah is it interesting though because you never then bought into this idea about rock and roll or music that because so many of the people that I look up to and I'm sure you as well 
were disasters yeah you know with drugs and alcohol yeah and you were you you somehow avoided making the connection right like thinking that that was necessary it's one of the uh the things that I, i'm i would attribute to, to growing up in malibu oh really well because you, you're around uh you're you're in proximity to some of that to see the reality of it. It's no longer this thing on a poster. On oh, the broken, the broken ball. people. Totally. Like you know, the 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 people I was playing music with were in their you know late twenties, maybe early thirties uh-huh. at the time, and 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 their idols did all the stuff that you're talking about, right? right? And so right. that was the excuse for the behavior that right. I was seeing that was. Um, Clearly, not something that was that was glamorous, you know, or adding to the music at all. I mean, I was repla- <laughs> I mean, I would join a band to replace a guy who would be in rehab. Oh, really? And, yeah, and and he was one of my favorite. Still, is one of my favorite guitar players. Is he still playing? Yeah, and he's doing really well. Oh, good. Really well. He's great. He's sober. He's you know, like I think he's living in Malibu again. He's doing yoga every day. It's fucking great. Is he a big? He's a big guy. No. I mean, uh, what do you mean big? Like, like he's in a big band? No, but his his father was a, a, a heavy, 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 still is a heavy guitar player. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Man. I mean, I don't think he would mind me saying it's, yeah. it's a, a Dwayne Betts, Dickie oh, Betts' oh, yeah. son. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I grew up uh, playing with him and, and the band that uh, that he was in, and it was like a Southern rock band with a, a bunch of uh, um, really talented, famous people's kids. Uh-huh. And Who was in that band? Roy Orbison's son was playing drums. Really? Alex. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne was in the band at one point. Uh, Barry Oakley Jr.'s was he named after Dwayne? Yeah, that's yeah. great. That, yeah. That's the Allman Brothers family. The band is a family. It's pretty really, tight knit. It's wild to me, man. It's pretty wild. I brought a guitar that'll freak you out. Oh yeah, it was a, a gift from Dickie. Oh really? Yeah. Is he still down there? He's in uh, Florida. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he Dwayne was... plays with him. Dwayne's playing with Dickie now. Oh really? Yeah, they play together in the Great Southern. Yeah, I don't know what happened between him and the Almonds, but whatever. What happens between people bands. in all bands? Yeah, yeah I guess, I I guess mean, the, so. The inevitable collapse of this idea that things can be democratic it's forever. So, it's so wild. I just was listening to uh, the Dwayne Allman anthology. I got both of them. And um, there's some stuff on there, man, where like I, I didn't really realize the full scope of it, but there's a like an eight-minute uh, blues number where he's just he's not playing slides. He's just playing straight up like... Mm the feel is just insane so young too yeah I, so he died how he's, he wasn't even 30 I don't know I don't it's remember it's crazy doesn't that knock doesn't that blow you away it's, it is it's nuts to, to like consider what these guys were capable of doing at that age yeah. it's crazy well not even at the age but just in such a short amount of time right you know the the conversation like Dwayne because you're 28 right I'm 28 yeah, yeah. and like Dwayne uh, Dwayne I think alludes a lot of uh, musicians as far as like you know why he's held in such esteem and i was actually having that conversation um uh with my friend tony berg the other day and and found myself struggling to kind of um uh, get him across you know and do him justice because there's something kind of intangible about the the just the fire yeah. he's playing and on top of that there have been so many people since Dwayne. he's he's influenced so many people that have taken that and um uh, kind of right out of the gate just been you know like played with that sort of intensity and it's nowhere near as thrilling as when you have to go on that eight minute journey like you're talking about yeah. to arrive there with yeah. him yeah there's something yeah. to be said for that and i don't know that there were a lot of players that were playing like that at the time so i think uh, that's true the context is is also something to um to to place things in to to fully understand what these guys were doing okay so you're 10 you're going through elementary school yeah you're playing nirvana and then like when you get into these bands you're in high school by then yeah i was in middle your, school who are your guys then like in terms of when like, i was 14 i think i heard Derek. either somebody put me a boot ta- a bootleg of a Derek trucks band concert and it finally is he that much older than you he's a little bit older not I don't that know how, yeah. i don't know how much yeah. older i mean he was probably like around my age uh-huh. at the time and uh it was uh, the, one of the reasons it was so big for me is because at the time I had been um, I had been playing with a a, a, a guy named Bob Brosman, um, who's no longer with us, but he was a, a world music. Um, uh, he was an ethnomusicologist, and he was really big in making records that would come out in the world music genre. He would just go around to different countries and uh-huh. make records with um, not 
not much like unlike uh, Ry Cooter right. does, you know, where he'll go and make kind of like a record with this person that celebrates the 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 indigenous music of that person, sure, and that culture. So Bob Brosman uh, made a living doing that, and but he would play exclusively um, national resophonic guitars, sure, you know, the metal acoustic guitars, like a dobro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I saw him. My dad took me to see a show of him playing like McCabe's or something like that, and he he would do seminars at his house in Santa Cruz. And after the show, uh, I asked my dad took me over and asked if uh, if we could attend one of the seminars. And so my dad drove me up to Santa Cruz. How old were you? I think I was uh, maybe thirteen, twelve yeah. or thirteen. Uh huh. And my dad drove me up to. Uh, Santa Cruz, which is a quite a drive. That's like a six-hour drive or something yeah, like trippy that. Trippy place, totally. Trippy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we went to his house, and you know there was like ten old guys in in sandals and uh-huh. cargo shorts, and, um, hunched over in a circle and learning, um, you know, like Blind Blake right. riffs and stuff. And but I think Bob could see that I was interested in the the world music aspect of his playing. Uh-huh. I was just really. Um, enamored with the sounds of other instruments, and he made like a record. Which ones? Well, he made a record with this guy uh, Jelly Musa Jawara. Uh-huh. Musa Jawara, I think I'm pronouncing that right. And he's a West a guy from Mali, West yeah. African musician who played kora. Kora uh-huh. is like a harp. Yeah, I've seen those things. They're yeah. really impressive. Aren't looking. they in Senegal too? Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. Like Baba Mall and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, so yeah. they're these. It's a gourd with yeah. a pole and, and leather straps. That hell of a sound. Oh, it's kind of vibrates. so intoxicating. Yeah, 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 yeah. And every all the notes ring across yeah, each yeah, other and yeah, stuff. And, yeah, and uh, and so I fell in love with that the sound of that instrument. And, yeah, and became fascinated with the idea of trying to get a guitar to sound like that. It's sort of like I had become familiar enough with a guitar that it'd be easier for me to try to coax some of that out of the instrument than to pick. And I got a Cora, and it's. It's like, you know. Can you play it? Walking on a hammock. I mean, it's it's so hard to, it takes so much finesse and 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 a different sort of uh, uh, connection between your two hands than guitar uh-huh. requires. Kind of like piano. Uh-huh. Piano is sort of backwards for Are guitar you play, player. Do you play piano? Barely. Not, not How's the chora coming? <laughs> I've got closer on a guitar than a chora. Yeah. And the chora actually. So you're 13, but, you're this kid. 13, I'm in love with, with music from, from all over the world. But this... I'm also really starting to come of age and appreciate the Rolling Stones and, and, and also like contemporary rock music. Like, I mean, I remember being a, a, a huge fan of, um, me and my my old bandmates would listen to like Third Eye Blind. I mean, and and, sure. and Phantom Planet and and all kinds of uh, like pop songwriting and stuff. But at that age, they felt very, um, you know, they felt like like I had to keep one a secret from but the did, other. But, but did that guy see you as a, a gifted guy? Uh, I think so. I mean, he, I think in in ways he he was a little disappointed that I didn't carry the torch. In the naturalist way that he had, so you for kept so long. in touch with him. Yeah, I kept in touch, but but uh, no, I would say I fell out of touch. Uh-huh. You know, when I decided to start playing electric guitar in a band with drums, and and when 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 he caught wind of that, I think he was a little heartbroken. But he took you under his wing to a degree. For yeah, a, a before few that. Years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and a lot of the slide um, playing and uh, uh, came from from that period because What's he was a name? slide player, Bob Brosman. And mm. if you look up videos of him, he, uh, his shows were were kind of academic. You know, he would he right. would because he was a, 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 a I think he was a, a, a professor at UCLA or like an ethnomusicologist uh, that they would come in and do seminars so and stuff. You're in this band with uh, Orbison's kid, and, yeah, and Derek, and, yeah, or Dwayne, yeah, Dwayne, and you, and who else? And uh, the the writer and singer of the band, his his father. Uh, is a guy named Jerry Lynn Williams, who was a songwriter. He wrote a, a, a couple of things for and, Clapton, I think. And, and that was your first band. That was the first band that I played. And with. how old were you? I was fourteen, uh-huh. and I was filling in for Dwayne when uh, he was he he would you know he would get sick or he would go right. into rehab right. or something. Right. And I didn't fully comprehend the the heaviness of that, but um, but I was just oh I get to play like one of my favorite guitar players. I get to play like Dwayne, you know. <laughs> With the band, it's great. So and then he could, would—he was fine. He would get out of rehab, and then they would just keep me in, and because there's no limit to how many guitars you can have in a southern rock band. So, <laughs> yeah, the more the merrier. Yeah. Well, you want to do a couple now? It. You want sure. to plug yeah, in? Yeah. Let me continue setting this stuff up. Um, around the time I graduated high school, uh, Gibson was doing a signature model. 
they were doing a signature model of Dickie Betts guitars. Right. And uh, Les Paul. Yeah, Les Paul. That was this built uh, in basically trying to copy the gold top Les Paul that he had. The gold finish had all flaked off. Uh huh. So underneath the gold top, there's like a lacquer. Yeah. And it's this color. This That's crazy it? red. Yeah. That's it. So look at all this shit on here. Look at the input jack. Oh my this god! Is all stuff that he made. So, so that's one, one that they made for him. That's not the yeah, original. Yeah, this is no. This is a prototype. Dickie oh. Betts prototype. See on the oh, that's top wild, of dude. And uh, so I, he he gifted it to me when I graduated high school, and uh, a few years later, I kind of realized the significance of of the gift and the importance of this guitar, and said, "I'm not going to tour it with it or play it anymore. I'm going to keep it safe." What was the significance? That it's a gift from one of the you know coolest guitar players of all time and uh and it's rare and and a special instrument and so uh i went down to guitar center yeah in hollywood the vintage room and i I brought this and and set about trying to find a a les paul that um sounded better you know that i could invest some dough in and go okay this will be my instrument that i use and and then this will be safe and i'll I'll, did you find one no this thing killed every (laughs) guitar that was in there just slayed it it's what, so much how better. How do you determine that? With your ears, you know. But I mean, like those are those are straight up. They're like humbuckers, burst, burst right? bucker pickups. They make you know they make different ones. Yeah. But, but there's just the magic of that wood, huh? Total. Well, the wood, the combination of everything together. I mean, I guess each one can be magic, right? Totally. I mean, like you could have three consecutive instruments, you know, yeah. like built consecutively, yeah. and then they may not have any resemblance to each other. Yeah. Or like you could be in the studio with a band. And they do three takes in a row. Yeah. And there's a reason why, you know, hopefully one of those takes will be the one, you know, because yeah, the yeah. other two aren't. Yeah. You know, like there's, it's just, there's no how, rhyme or reason to many, it being on. But you seem like a guy that's attached to very specific instruments. And, uh, but do you have a lot of them or do you, are you committed to I'm starting to, like, to, yeah, it's starting to pile up starting to <laughs> because I use them for such different things and I start to get uh, obsessed with, um, yeah. I started to get obsessed with 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 application, you know. Like, uh, I mean, I just found this acoustic instrument that projects like an electric instrument. Yeah, and they don't all do that. And so, when you start to realize, and you've been in a situation where you're playing an acoustic instrument in a room, and and you're just fighting to to get your idea out, you start going, okay, here's there's there's a problem. It's like the way like an inventor's mind might look at it. So okay, the the problem's identified. Now you might go 25 years before you come across an instrument that solves that problem. And it might not be until you play that instrument that you even were aware that the problem existed. You could just go, oh man, I can play, when I go to Largo and I sit in with these guys, this will be the perfect instrument for me to play. And I no longer have to lug around, you know, right. an electric guitar so that I can play along with the you know the violin and mandolin. It's, Who do you play with over there? Who's the violin? Uh, well, ben Mott and those guys. Yeah, Ben Mott and the Watkins, and uh, uh, I went and saw John Bryan the other night and played a little with him. It was beautiful, and yeah, I mean he he he's got a, a he had like a collection of acoustic guitars and a and and I think a '67 mic like it was a recording session, huh. you know, and he mic'd it like a recording session. And if you don't have an instrument that that makes that mic react, or, or uh, then then you're just kind of going uphill i got a thing that i bought when i was looking for that i wanted to get a j45 and i just couldn't Uh find a new one that sounded good and eventually i just got one you know i just you know i just it was it was chosen for me Uh i got a deal on it from gibson and but i bought this weird fjn have you seen those things uh no i don't know what that is it's this big body guitar with two white flamenco pick guards on it. I think oh, only yeah, yeah, yeah. with a short classical neck. I think steel Jackson, string or yeah, steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think Jackson Brown plays them. Yeah. So I got one of those, and it's the biggest sound I ever heard out of an acoustic. But I, I, I didn't. Um, I think there was something a little off about it. It still needs to be uh, set up properly. But it's a, amazing. Just the playability. It's, you mean? Yeah, it's, there's some buzzes to it. I couldn't quite get out, and the neck's really short and fat. Because yeah. it's like a classical yeah, neck. Yeah, yeah. And uh, wide. Yeah, I think it was made to I transition classical players out of classical instruments yeah, into makes sense. folk instruments or into steel string instruments. In the 30s, they were making a, a guitar um, that that was made for Hawaiian style, for slide playing, yeah. for slack key. And for slack key, they, the, it's what it sounds like. You tune the strings way down. Right. They have a bunch of slack. So having that space between each string was part of the design for those sort of features. And uh, 
and it has like a classical neck, but it has a V shape on the back, and it's uh, I've just I just found one, and it's that instrument I'm talking about that projects like an oh, electric. Okay. It's an HG00, and it's unbelievable. I was totally unaware, unfamiliar with these guitars. And, yeah. And my friend said, uh, again, Tony Berg, he's, he's kind of, he's keeping a good eye out for, for me for instruments over yeah. the years and, and gigs and stuff. And he said, you should go down and hear this guitar. And I went and played it and fucking swiped it, man. He had it on hold, and I was like, "You aren't getting yeah, this guitar." And that's the one. That's, that's the, the new, one. The yeah. new magic guitar. Because a lot of them don't do that. A lot of that year, they they, they kind of fold in on themselves. If you start picking harder, right, it doesn't get any louder. It right, just kind of compresses. And that one does. It for gets some... louder. Oh, you there's like it. extra headroom in it. It you doesn't make any sense. It's just you lucked out. Totally. Is that thing plugged in? Let's see. I I did the um the Crossroads Festival, the yeah. Clapton Crossroads Festival. Did you play with Eric? Uh yeah, well I mean he invi- he he invites everybody that's there and and so I went and played a I sat in with the uh, Booker T and the MGs, great yeah another maestro you oh, know dude it's like you know, it's like he and Keith fifty years of like you know it's crazy seventy years so deep and a guitar player he's yeah a, he's a badass he? guitar player really he was he was a guitar player before I thought he was they like asked a tuba him to, player well maybe that too yeah. I don't know but he was a guitar player at the time that that they asked him to play organ on a session. So what's your dad think of all your success? He's very proud. Yeah. He's a ha- yeah, he's a happy dude. Yeah. When I was making uh Hi Ho, I got to a point where I felt comfortable showing him, you know, and having him come down to the studio and and some of the people that I was that that were playing on that record were people who, you know, he if he wasn't familiar with their names, he knew they were playing. Like who? Jim Keltner, uh-huh. Don was. Uh-huh. And uh and he came down and his reaction was, I mean, that was enough for me. That was, I got what I needed to get out of the experience of, you know, making the record and having anybody, getting any kind of feedback on it. Just seeing yeah. him? Yeah. Seeing him react to it That's was beautiful. really a, a, a heavy experience. And your mom? My mom's funnier. My mom's, I mean, she loves it. Yeah. It's great, but she's always asking me questions about what lyrics mean and and she's on, like, like, what does that mean? Yeah, and I go, you don't want to know. And she's, she's, you know, she's, my mom's on Facebook, so she's, she's doing all the the wonderful like uh, paternal promotion stuff. Well, what's uh, what's what's Don was is magic it, because he's everywhere and always has been. Yeah. It seems. What yeah. what is great about? Him? All right. Well, as a musician, um, one way you could describe it is is uh, so. Uh, Let's look at it like okay, on on this record, uh, Don was playing bass on a few songs, and on a, a couple other ones, uh, Michael Elizondo was playing bass. Uh, the drummer was always Jim Keltner. The difference in who Jim was and what Jim did from when he was playing with Don and when he was playing with Mike, um, kind of helps you see what 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 both of those guys are about and Jim, you know. But it's it 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 does help you see like. Uh, the difference a bass player makes, you yeah. know, and 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 just his touch, and when he decides to 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 pull a note so hard that it goes sort of sharp and kind mm-hmm. of buzzes against the neck, mm-hmm. the rhythm of that buzz, uh-huh. you know, and 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 the economy of notes uh-huh. and feel and everything, it's it it it's it does start to get a little esoteric, you know, to describe the the kind of musician he is, but uh, it's it's a beautiful thing to be you know to be able to play with a uh, a trio and have so much music and information come out uh from three guys you know and a lot of it's just drums. after a certain point is feel totally yeah i mean kind of everything really right. because yeah the note choice you know and what you don't play and stuff yeah. is is huge but the 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 language that everything you know leaves the brain and and gets to the ear i mean that's that's the feel the part right. of it that so comes into play so once you sort of move through an uh you know your high school band mm-hmm. and and then you know how in opening your mind up to world music and these other instruments and trying to make your guitar sound like things i mean what was what was the real goal for you i mean when did you you know start did you have another band after that band? That yeah, was- I was in a band called Simon Dawes, and those guys are are still playing. Together. Are they Dawes? Yeah, they're Dawes. People like them. I played yeah. the record. I don't know if it really connected with it, but uh-huh. I, I I know that people love them. So you were with those guys. I was with those guys, and when we were in a band together, it was we were listening to like the Kinks. I mean, oh, first we were listening to like Steely Dan. We were in high school, and it was really uncool to listen and like. You like uh, Steely, Steely Dan? Dan. 
I did. I mean, I still do, but 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 not for the same reasons that I did when I was in high school. For production reasons? Just, yeah. I mean, some of the slyness in, in yeah. Fagan's writing and, and how bizarre that music is and yeah. feels when you put it on. Yeah. It no longer, to me, like when, when we started a band, my, my the archetype for it was like, well, what if there was a band that like presented themselves like the strokes you know they walked they, they like stumbled on stage but then they sounded like steely dan how cool would that be and to me that was like the <laughs> right you know yeah um the coolest why didn't that band thing. work out for you um well for a while it did i mean I, I mean that was like the the some of the most um uh, i learned a lot yeah you know but but for the reasons why i think most bands ultimately don't work um it it kind of crumbled like it went from being um a, a, a time where two people who were coming of age and, and discovering records um, together uh, were then writing and making music inspired by those records. It went from that to two people who were listening to pretty drastically different things and writing different things, but feeling like there was this um, design of the band where it wasn't a, a band song until both of us had made our stamp. You know, right. and we hadn't really figured out. The uh, you know we hadn't matured enough to to know like if if one of us had brought an idea and it was complete and fully founded to to have the stamp be that's great and I fully endorse it you know and I mean, when did you start doing session work after I left that band how did that start uh Tony Tony Berg again he's sort of like a mentor and he'd produced the Simon Dawes record uh huh and uh, he he's he's got a studio in his his backyard home studio that uh, he he sometimes does uh, sessions in and um so he would call me to to play on stuff and like I, who like who were your first sessions oh man I, well i played on a jessica hoop record uh-huh. which is fun because she's an alien she's out there yeah she's so good um and uh and very musical and um and uh, I played with uh, Jacob Dylan there. Right. We did the. There was this like uh, Amnesty International, you know, charity record, and and Jacob did a. Everybody was doing John Lennon songs. That was the theme. Jacob did "Give Me Some Truth." Yeah. And uh, Danny Harrison sang background vocals on it, and um, I played that George's solo. son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, and George had played the original slide solo uh-huh. on that record. Beautiful solo, and uh, and so I I played slide on that. And that's how I met uh, Danny. And um, actually, we Danny had overdubbed his vocals, so he wasn't there when we tracked. I hadn't met him when we made the song. But then I was at the Echo for a show or something a few weeks later. And it's dark and loud there. And, you know, I'm watching the, I'm watching the show, and in front of me through the crowd, like, walks the spitting image of George up to me. Yeah. And p- he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he, and he says... Hey, we haven't met. I'm Danny. I just sang on that track, and I just want you to know that my dad would have been really, really proud of the solo. Oh um, wow! Yeah, and I fell apart. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was really cool. Yeah, and we've been friends since. And and uh, and uh, it, yeah, that was uh, that that house in Brentwood, Tony's house, has been a kind of like a, I don't know. I'm sure there's a a, a great term for. The kind of you you go back there and and become reenthused, you know. Well, that but by doing that, like by being the 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 kid who pulls it off, then other people are like, Where, you, "Where's that guy? Who's that guy that was on that thing?" I think right? pe- I think I've heard stories that like people would ask um, uh, would ask that like you heard somebody play on a, on a record or something, and then they would ask him who it was, and he wouldn't he he, he wouldn't say. Yeah, keep it a secret. Really? Just keep it in his back pocket. I don't know if there's any truth to it. I don't care. What was the first time when it, you know, outside of, like, when he first, when he played that George Harrison thing? Because then mm-hmm. you got to lock into George's tone, and you want to respect that piece, and you want to, you know, honor that piece, right? It wasn't even that. It was just the the respecting the, the, the sort of beauty, innate beauty of the song. And, right. And, and that's all you really, I think, have to... Uh, it because I wasn't playing his solo, right? You know, um, I was doing something different, uh-huh. and, and I, I I I really feel like I've learned from getting to play with the people that I've I've gotten to play with, and the the common denominator being that sort of heartfelt like it doesn't really matter all that other stuff of like what was the amp and 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 like right. you know where do your ideas come from. All that bullshit is is secondary to the the thing that everybody tends to respond to, which is that kind of uh, 
uh, honesty, you know, and the the confidence in in what you're doing and 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 uh, musicality in it. Well, there's that's never been uncool, you know. I mean, sure. like, you know when when Nirvana and you was can big, feel it. yeah, and you know when Nirvana was big and like guitar solos were sort of uncool, yeah, or that's like that's the stigma in retrospect behind and they've been they they there's guitar solos all over Nirvana records, yeah, and they're beautiful and they're musical and they're more musical than the guitar solos that they were a departure from. Right, that were going on at that time. And you know? How so? Because they're melodic and simple. Yeah, they were melodic and simple, and there was a a a, a, a feeling behind them. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, that's but a that's, feeling. Yeah, the trans. That's the you got to transmit it. Yes, and there was there was no feeling in the kind of like the, the no, all that other shit. All the time. Yeah, well, you can feel like even when you listen to like if you listen to Albert King mm-hmm. and you know even if you watch that stuff with, with Albert King and like Stevie Ray Vaughan mm-hmm. where you know Albert is doing the limitations of, of what he does and Stevie obviously started there but went somewhere else with it you don't sit there and go like no he's getting his ass kicked because yeah. you know because the feeling totally is delivered totally it is it's weird it's this weird like withholding yeah. thing that has so much power in it yeah and, and when and you know what when I was 14 and heard that Derek Trucks record um that was something i think that was the first time i'd ever heard such a clear example of how powerful that could be you know like an electric guitar and an incredible electric guitar tone and he's and he's he's what he's doing with it and what he's not doing with it and he played with lucinda you toured with her i did for a lot of dates about a year really with her yeah and that's a pretty that's a pretty raw band she's like so fucking honest i mean one of my favorite writers yeah and 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 was when I when I it wasn't the kind of thing where like I I learned about her afterwards. Yeah. You know, I mean, I really. My friend called me and said, "Hey, he and he, my friend Val McCallum was playing with her, and he said, hey, I can't make this tour. Uh, they're looking for a guitar player. Would you be interested?'" I said, "Fuck yeah!" You know. <laughs> yeah. And I hate touring. Yeah. I really hate touring, and 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 but there are a few artists that it's just like if you know if you ever get the opportunity to go out and play with them, and she's one of them, and and. Uh, as a singer and as a writer to 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 get to have that kind of intimate uh relationship with that material yeah. you know and to learn it and to play it and hear yeah. how it how it evolves every night and wow i mean that's a that's a huge learning experience and you got along with her yeah oh, she's, she's sweet oh i talked to her once she's so great she's the best she's, she's the best so great and she lets a, she really lets the music kind of stay raw totally i mean she doesn't have a choice i mean the 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 uh her her language you know the, the that she uses is there's no uh uh the, there's nothing cerebral no, about it's it it's like right to the guts yeah did you see zz top at the greek no you didn't go no no i didn't yeah, you play with billy though you play with billy yeah. and sweeney on that that's right that's that that was our first i think uh on that peter green thing what do you think of peter yes. green oh how great is that guy? So what do you? He's so good. He's another one of those guys where where you're just listening. And you're like, it's all the notes. You know where those notes are. I know, but, but you've the, never heard them like that. It's crazy. Have I you, know. There's a lot of mystery in in the in the way that he. I think uh, you haven't figured it out. No, no. I mean, there's some stuff that like I go, oh wow, what a sound. You know, yeah, that yeah. can produce. But the the train of thought. You know, right, right, like when right. he's on one of his like you know flights of fancy, yeah. what he gets to with that, it's so it, I, it's like it, it and and with his voice, it's like <sighs> he takes like minor blues. He was the guy. He was the guy who had everything everybody else wanted, and that band at that time, amazing. They were one of the biggest bands in the world, and it's such an interesting legacy. The the Fleetwood Mac legacy of like no other band has as many of the fucking rock and roll qualities like biggest man in the world we lose our lead singer and writer and founder and then we get these you know we get two other guys and then we become an even bigger band yeah. right and okay well other bands have done that before whatever like maybe you got the acdc yeah but nobody in acdc was fucking each other right right and like they and they weren't there weren't these like interrelationships and and just the 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 story of that band so is, different the bands that, that the peter greenfleet would mac and then so the, different the walsh i i didn't love the um welsh what's his name uh, oh uh uh the the well the guy who who passed no well, no there's a couple there's a, there were a few no there was yeah I listened Kirwan, to the the kiln house he was record. great that's a great record Beautiful. I love that yeah, record yeah he's not alive anymore Kirwan? Kirwan? I think he is I don't know and the and uh, the other guy um 
uh, Danny, and then there's um, Spencer, Jeremy Spencer, right. was the uh, original uh, rhythm guitar player with Peter Green. Oh, I didn't and know And then that. Kirwan came in. Yeah. And then, Je- Je- why am I forgetting his name? Welsh or Walsh, not Walsh. Ah, fuck. Welsh sounds kind of familiar. Welsh, yeah, Bob Welsh. Bob Welsh. He came in after Kirwan left. Yeah. And then, like, they were looking, that, that's part of that whole Sound City thing. They were at Sound City, Mick Fleetwood and McVie, uh-huh. and uh, they were looking for a guitar player, and they were listening to mixes of the Buckingham Knicks record, yeah, yeah. and said, well, ask Buckingham. We get this dude. And he said, yeah, you can if you take my girl, and that's how that happened. Yeah. But did you watch that documentary, Man of the World, uh, about Peter Green? Oh, no, 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 no. I dude, haven't seen it yet. It's on, go on Netflix, a BBC I will, thing. I will, I will. Not on Netflix, it's on It's a, hard for me to watch music stuff. No, but, but no, but it's like- you I got, bet it's great. Well, the thing is, is like- um. You go to uh, you just go on YouTube and look for Peter yeah. Green, Man of the World. It's a BBC thing, and that some guy Maybe I have seen it. Well, I've some dude, some, some writer up. found him sort of rotting away in a mental hospital, over medicated, got oh. him back on his feet, you know, oh, and pulled man. it together, and then interviewed McVie and uh, Jeremy Spencer, yeah. and uh, and Mick Fleetwood yeah. about what happened to Peter Green, right? And he's this little old man now, and he's like cognizant, and he's you know he's together. And they all track it back to this one night in Berlin at a with party. With an axe? Right. The, well, it Didn't was- he have an, No, no, no. That was Skip's fans. No, no. It was right. some party where he got dosed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. it was- You know, they all build up to this moment where he goes downstairs with these people and they're jamming. And like Spencer's like, I don't want to go down there. Some weird sounds. Something evil was going oh, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, And then they, the guy, finally, after they build this thing up, they ask, the guy asks uh, Peter Green, like, what about that night in Berlin? He's like, no, I think we sound pretty good. <laughs> I didn't, didn't even register. So sick. It, uh, dude, I, I love that guy. He's the, he's the king. And how beautiful is it to put a, a, a band together and name it after the bass player and drummer? Yeah, he had this fundamental, <laughs> hum, he was humble, and he didn't want, I don't think he ever wanted to be, you know, he just wanted to, like, I've never heard someone feel so hard yeah. as that guy yeah. with his singing and his playing. And writing. <sighs> and yeah, writing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. All right, let's go. Let's do some tricks. Okay. So that shape, the pentatonic shape, let's say we're in B, you know, B minor. Yeah. So that box. Now, what if you instead of uh instead of that that sort of fixed kind of okay, here's that bottom fret, that yeah, yeah. that thing. What if instead you were you you, you ventured a fret down, but you bent a half step up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, you you start to lose that that kind of boxy sound right, right, of everything right, right. being, you know, and it and it becomes a. You're taking advantage of what a guitar can do that a piano and 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 so many other instruments oh, can't. Yeah, yeah. You know, drums. You, you you get this vocal quality. I mean, I heard. I, I think I first heard the the mixing and matching of that pentatonic stuff um, when uh, I was like, you know, I was like on the shitter or something, and on Instagram looking at people's photos, and somebody had posted a picture of this record that looked really interesting. The yeah. cover of it, and it was this. Uh, and I and I'm. I don't totally know how to pronounce her name yet, but I'll sound it out. T S E G U E. T S E G U E. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sege or something mm-hmm. like that. Sounds good. Miriam Jebru. Wow. M A R Y A M G E U G U E, sorry, B R O U. Mm-hmm. And she's this uh she's this Ethiopian piano player and and you know, somebody's going to place one of these songs in a movie and it's going to be the most sentimental scene, you know, of 2015. Yeah. But this record is... And the, I mean, just the, the titles of the songs, The Homeless Wanderer, The Last Tears of a Deceased, huh. The Madman's Laughter, you know? Wow. Uh, Ballad of the Spirits, Homesickness. So what did this tell you? So, How did it uh, Uplifting you? stuff. Yeah. It's that went- it's that color. It just she just dances around in these rooms, uh-huh. you know, like these. Well, kind just of looking at it rooms. as a room is like you know I think uh, helpful. Yeah, to me, it's an environment. Yeah, you know, it's just like a a, a painting. It's a it's a certain it's a, it's a it's a choice selection of colors. And you find this out when you do you find that you make most of your discoveries alone with your instrument with the instrument? Yeah, I think so. I mean, some things you you definitely hone in the live setting. 
it's kind of fun. Well, let's, if you want to, let's. Why don't we do one song from the record and, and uh, wrap sure. it up? I like that thing you do with the. With, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do that one. This was a tune that um, was based on this this Howlin' Wolf groove, Forty Four Blues. Yeah, you know that track. So then, the, in that song, they've they've got the the upright bass playing this bass line and the guitar doubling it and a piano doing the kind of pretty chords on the top and um and it kind of amps between two chords two and a half chords almost like they go to the five in a cool way it's sort of a half five yeah and then back to you know it's a blues progression so i thought well what if that bass line were part of a, a progression that had a few more chords in it and some some piano moves and things like that you know stuff that's a little out of the wheelhouse of, yeah. of blues music but still has that kind of like familiarity of that bass line and the feel yeah and I stuff, knew there was something know? haunting about yeah. it yeah
That was great. It's been a, a, a second since I've had to use my voice, but that sounded great, fine. man. Thanks cool. so much for doing this. My pleasure. The album's called uh, "Hi Ho." Hi Ho. It's a big, beautiful record. Two big old discs. Yes, you know how how vinyl, how, big plates. We put all this money into making this record sound good, and and then uh, listened to it on Spotify one day, and it's oh. well, get Thank both. You. Yeah, get both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'll be the day. Thanks, yeah. boy. Thanks, dude. That's it. That's our show. That was pretty intense, wasn't it? That jam. Uh, go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get your JustCoffee.coop over there. They got a bunch of new... Uh, they got. I told you about the new machine. Get the WTF blend. I get a little on the back end of that. Yeah. Oh, shit. Marin on IFC. That premieres on the 14th of May. I know. I didn't realize some of you were so uh, hostile about uh, about cable. Get Watch it however you want. What else? I'm not going to play guitar. Not after that. Come on, man. Boomer lives.